What's up, guys? Thank you so much for listening to and supporting Picture Lock. I absolutely love film, as you know, and have given my life to studying the medium. As a filmmaker, I understand what it takes to make a film from its inception to the big screen. As a critic, I've been able to see the business of film from the marketing side of things. And as a film festival director, I've been able to see the distribution side, but more importantly, the enormous amount of talented filmmakers out there creating and crafting stories from their heart. And that's why I've started Picture Lock PR. If you're a filmmaker or producer looking to engage audiences and create relevance around your latest or upcoming project, head over to PictureLockPR.com. We can help you with your film's publicity from pre to post-production. Get more information and see the clients we've helped in the past at PictureLockPR.com. PictureLock PR. Finally, a partner as passionate as you. It's Picture Lock on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world-famous award-winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, critic, festival director, and publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find all the back episodes and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. I've been away. I had to take a week to rest after the amazing 2018 DC Black Film Festival. If you missed it, Make sure you're in the building next year. It was a great time for film, important conversations in a safe space, and all-around entertainment. Be sure to check DC Black Film Festival's Instagram and Facebook pages for photos and interviews. Shout out to the filmmakers who made the fest awesome. I can't tell you how many people were blown away by all the films. Huge shout out to the volunteers, sponsors, and folks that came out. (sighs) Already planning next year. (laughs) Okay, this is Picture Lock Radio, episode 90. I'm almost to 100 episodes. It's crazy to believe that this show has been on the radio airwaves for over two years, giving you the best in filmmaking. Today's episode will be no different. I've got the director of Are You Glad I'm Here, Noor Garzadine, on the show to talk about the film with an unlikely pairing. Rama Mosley, writer, director, producer of Tattered Demillion, drops in to talk about her mystery thriller. And if you know any beauty influencers, you're going to want to listen to my chat with director Tiffany Bartok of Larger Than Life, the Kevin O'Quan story, which highlights the life of a man who was giving beauty tips before Instagram was a thing. Finally, I talk with producer-director Juliet Lammers about her film, Studios, Lofts, and Jam Spaces, which portrays said locations and what they mean to Montreal-based artists. Plus... I'll tackle your Picture Lock question of the week from a couple of weeks ago. And that's all ahead on Picture Lock. Guys, everybody's waiting. Should we start the show? Let's walk it like a pocket. Let's do it. Yeah. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. And in Are You Glad I'm Here, a millennial American girl befriends a Lebanese housewife and disrupts her ordered life. And one night, they become accidental partners in crime. I have director Nora Garzadine on the line with me. Nora, welcome to Picture Lock. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. First question I always start out with, Nora, when did you first fall in love with film? Well, I started acting at a very young age, at like maybe five years old. And so throughout elementary school, I was really into acting and creative writing. And I think eventually those two things kind of joined together to create a love for film. Um, As a child, I was always like 
writing little plays and forcing my little sister to act in them with me. And <laughs> so I did lots of like theater and things like that. Um, and I really did enjoy acting, but I became a kind of like an antsy actress. Like I wanted to do behind the scenes stuff and tell people where to stand. And so the director side of me started coming out and I, I was acting still in uh, high school. And then once we were looking at colleges and you got to pick your major and I was like, I want to do, want to be part of all these film programs. So, you know, then I majored in film in college and that's how it, you know, continued kind of, but yeah, it stemmed from writing and acting really. Well, you kind of collapsed the first couple questions into one, <laughs> which is yeah, quite all right. Go like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're directing. You're directing. That's fine. <laughs> um, so if you could uh, talk a little bit about Are You Glad I'm Here? In your own words, what is this film all about? Well, I guess I always view this film as a film about friendship, an unlikely friendship between two women um, during a very specific period of time where they would have never really met otherwise. And these two women meet in Lebanon, one's an American, one's a Lebanese woman, and they're in very different places in their lives, but something about the other kind of gives permission for the other woman to kind of express themselves in a certain way. And so a friendship that would have normally never happened kind of evolves between them. And lots of other stuff happens in the film, but I guess I always think of it as, you know, that stuff is stuff that just happens to happen once these two women become friends as, you know, not so much that we, we led the story by the plot, but more that these kind these two, an experiment between these two characters kind of created the plot itself. And so, yeah, I really look at it as like a, this female friendship and exploring cultures and age differences and different life experiences and how that creates kind of an unsettling friendship at times, which is hinted at in the title. But yeah. Yeah. You know, I wanted to kind of explore that. Right. So you obviously have the mixing of different cultures um, and then also, as you said, uh, different ages. Uh, Mm -hmm. I do think that that is something that's super important, especially these days where we tend to kind of live in our own silos and not really, (laughs) you know, pay attention or reach out to the people around us. Um, Can you just talk about the importance of that within the film and uh, what we can learn from it? Yeah, I mean, I think that this, like, as you said, like a lot of people kind of live in their own little bubble and... The, the character of Kirsten, she's the American girl who's traveling to Lebanon. She's, you know, 24. She's graduated from liberal arts college. She has her friends who probably all think very similarly to her. She feels like she has the world figured out and she knows what's right and wrong. And now she's kind of going to Lebanon to get more life experience because she's had a little bit of a, you know, a, you know stable, easy life. And she feels like if she wants to be a writer, she's going to need some more excitement. So... I feel like this character of like a recent graduate who has spent so much time with just people who are really a lot like her was interesting to us to explore and then have her meet a woman who is not only older than her, but has a child, lives in a different culture, has different beliefs, like, you know, wasn't granted this time after college to run around the country, the world and have these adventures. So you learn a lot when you, you know, meet somebody who just didn't graduate from the same college as you, doesn't have, you know, 
all the same education as you. And that was definitely something that inspired this kind of experiment of this friendship. So I find that always interesting to force these characters together and see what they end up, you know, learning from each other. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the director of Are You Glad I'm Here, Nor Garzadine. Nor, one of the things that I love about film is that mm-hmm. artists and filmmakers are storytellers, and they generally tell the story and have a, a pulse on what's going on in the world. And so as you kind of talk about the film, um, you know, I do think that we've reached this kind of, or or we're definitely reaching this point, you know, in terms of this generation where the world is a lot smaller um, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's really easy to kind of uh, learn from one another. And so I think what I want to ask you is just as, as a filmmaker and a a storyteller in terms of what you're trying to tell within uh, Are You Glad I'm Here is what are you most proud of uh, in, in terms of directing this film? Oh, wow. Well, just getting it done. No, I was going to call it. No, um, <laughs> I mean, it was really interesting because I went to Lebanon to, to make the film. And that's where my family is from. And I spent many, you know, all, all my summers there. And but I had never worked there, really. So um, breaking into that Lebanese film industry as an outsider was very challenging because I didn't, you know, I'm coming. Nobody knows my name. I have a low budget. Uh I don't have anything in place and I'm kind of just coming to Lebanon hoping to make all of this work. So Mm -hmm. that initial step of getting into that community, which then I kind of found the right people and I was like exposed to this amazing, you know, vibrant film community in Lebanon that I didn't really even fully know about beforehand. But so I think, and also a lot of our cast and crew knew each other because, you know, Lebanon is very small and once you're in a certain business, you kind of start to all know each other. So I was kind of like an outsider in a way inside, even though I am Lebanese, but I was, you know, coming from America and I had to do some directing in Arabic and I was shooting in a location that I wasn't used to working in with people who all knew each other. And I was like kind of coming in, not having that same camaraderie with everybody, but it was also very exhilarating as a director as well, because, you know, you're ready. So hyped up you're doing this thing and then the added layer of adrenaline when you're like I'm out of my comfort zone you know it made it (laughs) a really rich experience and we were just there for six months like meeting everybody getting our crew together doing the casting and then the last 18 days we shot the whole film so you know that kind of marathon feeling was you know felt like such an accomplishment and as somebody who grew up in a bilingual household I also always wanted to make a a bilingual film that felt natural, just the way that our lives feel natural when they're bilingual. And, you know, I wanted to represent a um, like a friendship across language barriers in a way, too, because I think that that's also very common, but not really something we we show on film too much. I don't know if people think it's too complicated or, oh, we'll have to put subtitles here. But, you know, a lot of people are friends with people whose families speak a different language and they go into their house and then they don't understand everything that's going on. And so I wanted to portray all these things. And I think also just the genre blend that the film is, is something stylistically that I'm very proud of as a director. 
Yeah, you know, that sounds really awesome. And, you know, unfortunately, we're going to kind of have to wrap things out. But I guess the last question I'll ask you in sure. regard to the film, I've talked before about this with uh, a filmmaker, but in terms of, like, going to Lebanon to actually shoot the film, could you briefly talk about kind of the challenges, but, like, how, how you overcame um, those challenges? I mean, it really was just about trying to find, like, the right line producer who would open up access to all of these things for us. And so the very beginning was challenging just because I didn't know all the right people. And, you know, it's always a hard decision to trust somebody and move forward with somebody who you're kind of handing over your project to organize the whole thing. So I think mainly like finding the line producer and casting director was the first big break. And then once we found those people, they really, you know, opened us up to all the cast and crew that we ended up falling in love with. So I think that I think you kind of just have to find like a fixer when you travel somewhere, like the right person who's like you trust and then they kind of hold your hand and and introduce you to everybody else. And then it just becomes like a normal film set and you forget that you're somewhere across the globe, you know. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well, I definitely appreciate that wisdom advice for the listeners. Um, you're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I've been talking with the director of Are You Glad I'm Here, Noor Garzadine. Noor, uh, how can folks follow the film on social media, find out more about the film online? Sure. Well, you can uh, check out our Instagram. It's just Are You Glad I'm Here, one long word. Um, and we post all of our updates on there. And we're also on Facebook, Are You Glad I'm Here. And if you go to my website, noorgarzadine.com, you can keep up with me and also, you know, sign up to just receive our newsletter, which will just let you know if we're screening near you. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Nora Garzadine, director of Are You Glad I'm Here. Thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, this is Dory Barton, the writer-director of Girl Flu, and you are listening to Picture Lock. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and an Army veteran returns to the Ozarks to look for her brother and finds an abandoned boy in the woods. As she searches for answers about the child, she discovers some surprising truths in a mysterious world of folklore, secrecy, and lies. I have the writer-director producer of Tattered Demillion, Rama Mosley, on the line with me. Rama, welcome to Picture Lock. Hey, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So, Rama, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? I first fell in love with film when I was probably um, four or five, and I was shown E.T. on VHS. And I remember just being completely blown away. And I was young. (laughs) <laughs> to have seen that film. Yeah. Um, but it it really, like, awakened something in me very deep. First of all, I wanted E.T., <laughs> um, you know, and, and I wanted to be one of the kids that could have found him. Right. And, and I also just fell in love with the magic, you know, the magic of that story and then the magic overall. So I think I can I can trace my um, obsession with film back to that movie. You know, E.T. has definitely been named on this show before. I have to say, like, when I saw E.T., I was young enough where E.T. actually, he like, the alien scared me. 
However, at the same time, like you, I wanted my bike to be able to, you know, levitate and fly over people. So I, I can totally relate to that. Uh, Rama, if you could, let's get a little history lesson. How did you go from the girl that was loving Reese's, wish she had E.T. in the closet, uh, to being a filmmaker? How did you break into the industry? So, you know, from E.T., I, my parents really exposed me to films that probably most kids weren't allowed to see. Um, my dad was a huge movie buff. He was a mechanic. Um, and my mom was a teacher. And so from E.T., I saw films like Stand By Me and um, Alien and, I mean, tons of James Bond. And and so movie watching was a huge part of my childhood. And, and watching older films that came, like Westerns, you know, um, were really important. And, and so it was like this, there was an archetype of what a film director was or did that was just magical and that really like came into our home and and really um trans morphed <laughs> that's not the word but um you know the whole space and and so i started to think i really wanted to become a film director when i was about 9 and and i was at that time like creating little plays with my friends and like bossing people around and I would make people get married. I would just do all these things in which I was like, you know, inventing um, stories that were living and I had no way to capture them. But when I was about 13 years old, I was walking down the street in my small town in Ojai and I saw a film crew and I saw this person who was pointing to everyone and kind of, you know, emotionally telling them what they wanted. And I realized that was the on set. And I went up to him and I asked if I could follow him and just like bring him water and just stay with him. And he said, yes. And I spent three months with him on that film. And then later another two years as he mentored me and I was homeschooled. Um, and I was able to do that because I was homeschooled and Ultimately, when I was 15, I made a documentary, and that was, like, really the first thing I had actually made, and then I ended up getting signed as a commercial director when I was 16, and I, um, you know, I've now had about 22 years of directing hundreds and hundreds of commercials. What in the world? Like, that? that is one of the craziest, unbelievable, but cool stories that I've ever heard. You walk up on set to a director, can I get you some water? And boom, it takes off from there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that I mean, is, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it really, um, you know, the, in between, there's a lot of me going out with a Bolex. So, like, after after that director took me on as his mentee, you know, he let me use his camera equipment, and I would just go out and shoot, like, crazy stuff, you know, little shorts and... Um, and spec commercials and, you know, music videos. I shot some really, really bad music videos. And then finally I made this, that one piece that really like was right and, and had a specific point of view and a clear um, sense of tone. And that was the, the piece that actually got attention and got me um, signed as a director. Man, that's so cool. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. 
And I'm talking with a woman that I think It's a Wonderful Life really should be all about. It's the writer, director, producer of Tattered Demillion, Rama Mosley. Um, Rama, if we could, let's go ahead and hit it. Let's get into Tattered Demillion. For the audience, just kind of give them uh, a summary of what the film is all about. Well, the film is really a, a Western thriller, modern Western thriller about a veteran who returns home from the war back to her small town in the Ozarks, and she's searching for her brother, who she's estranged from and hasn't seen since they were in foster care as children. And as she's searching for her brother, she ends up finding an abandoned child who's been living in the woods, and she has to solve really the mystery of who this child is. And so that is the essential story. Um, now, a lot is happening through the story that's spinning um, her kind of out of control, which is, first of all, she's an alcoholic. And second of all, that the people that she encounters in her hometown in the Ozarks really believe that any child who's been abandoned in the woods um, is likely called a, a tattered demillion, which is a folklore about people who have been abandoned and that they could be dangerous, they could be demons. And so, you know, as she brings this child in, she starts to become sick and um, her hair turns light and she gets sicker and sicker and she's, you know, trying to understand what is going on. And, um, and she's also suffering from a lot of, um, you know, PTSD from the war, but also from her own experience as a child and what she went through and all the reasons why they were put into foster care. So, you know, you kind of are taken on this ride and really wondering if what is happening is real or if it's really part of her, um, of, of her trauma. You know, I'm wondering, um, uh, with the Ozarks kind of being another character within the film, um, that mystery, uh, and, and it takes us to a place that m I, I feel like many of the people in your audience probably have not been to. And so it kind of helps to heighten um, the lore. Uh, was that a part of, you know, kind of setting things up in the Ozarks specifically? As, as you said, is she's kind of dealing with um, maybe some of her inner demons as well? Yeah, so I mean, the Ozarks were a huge part of making this movie and a huge part of the movie. Um, and really, when you go there, for anyone who hasn't been there, you're, it's like you're going to another country. And I really recommend that people go out into the Ozarks and also all throughout Kentucky and, and even into the Blue Ridge Mountains. You know, our country is an amazing place. And and the Ozarks specifically have such a strong personality, and the people there do as well. And really, um, you know, there's a lot of individuals who have lived up high in the mountains and who really haven't interacted with um, modern culture in any way, okay, in any way. You know, so a lot of people living off the grid, or if they are living um there it feels like you know it's like 30 or 40 years ago in terms of what their lives are and so that infused our film and so when we were researching my co-writer and i tim macy um folklore you know 
there there's countless folklore in and around the Ozarks specifically, and we wanted to create a story that we could make very simply, but that also could have a really um, high production value and a and could really tell a meaningful story ultimately about people's fears and um, and and their culture and so that's why we chose that place you know and it um from start to finish i mean i could i could make a whole movie just about the making of the movie actually. <laughs> yeah i bet you could uh unfortunately rama we're gonna have to kind of wrap things out here but if people wanted to find out more about the film and follow you guys on social media how could they do that yeah so to follow us on social media just go to um Facebook, we're on Tatter Demillion Movie and Twitter as well. And the movie is coming out in September and it'll be in theaters um, with a limited release and then we'll be on VOD. So there's lots of information coming out and you can follow us actually on all social. We'd love the support. Awesome. Writer, director, producer of Tatter Demillion, Rama Mosley. Thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thanks for having me. Let's take a quick break for the folks that keep the lights on. Stay tuned. What if you could have a film critic, film festival director, film publicist, and fellow filmmaker guide you with your film's PR and marketing journey from pre-production to post. I'm Kevin Sampson, and my online course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker, does just that. In this course, I'm going to teach you how to set up your film to engage an audience and build a community long before you call action. I'll show you how to approach critics to make them aware of your film like publicists do. And as a director of two film festivals, I won't just teach you hacks and secrets to reduce entry fees, but how you can use the festival circuit to create buzz around your film. I'm a huge supporter of diverse storytelling and film, and I believe the most unique voices come from indie filmmakers. That's who I've supported over the years with my show, Picture Lock, whether on TV or on radio. With as much experience as I've had as an independent filmmaker myself, critic, publicist, and festival director, I realized that most indie filmmakers just need access to the knowledge that big firms provide to achieve success. So in this course, I'm going to demystify some of the process and give you everything I know in a behind the scenes look at the sides of the business you don't always see. So if you're an indie filmmaker that's looking to change the game with your film's PR and marketing, make sure you check out PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Head on over to PRForTheIndieFilmmaker.com and get a free preview of the course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Get your film seen, build community, and become an army of one. So I took a little break because of the DC Black Film Festival, but Picture Lock's question of the week a couple of weeks ago was, what's your favorite Spike Lee joint? I had a whole bunch of responses on this one. On Facebook, Thelonious Stanley said, Miracle at St. Anna, it's an epic film. Jason Horowitz said, do the right thing. Giovanna Chesler said, he got game. Derek Dunn said, so many, but I'd have to say school days. Jason Fraley said, do the right thing all the way. Charles D. Smith said, she's got to have it. Damian Wolf said, Mo Better Blues. 
Linda Hopper said, Black Klansman, she's got to have it, do the right thing. Linda, with the new film, I, I wasn't expecting to get Black Klansman, but actually that also happened over on the gram, so let's go there. At Suzette said, Mo Better Blues. At Rev Gracie said, Malcolm X. At Dijon Baseman said, it might be Black Klansman. And at B Flores 1906 said, Malcolm X, hands down. So it looks like we got Black Klansman, Mo Better Blues, and Malcolm X, and she's gotta have it. Those were the top films that you guys felt Spike Lee brought to our collective cinema experience. So thanks everyone for submitting your thoughts on that. This week's question, inspired from today's episode, who is your favorite female director and why? Leave me a message, 60 seconds or less, on who your favorite female director is and why. And I'm going to do my best to play it on the show next week. I really want you guys to leave a message for this one because I think it will be more powerful to hear than just me reading it. So take your pens out, pencils, get ready to type on those keys, whatever you got. 202-350-1351, 202-350-1351. Leave me a message, 60 seconds or less, on who your favorite female director is, and I'll do my best to play it on next week's show. You can always let me know on social media or email me at picturelockshow at gmail.com, and I'll read your answer next episode. Really looking forward to hearing your answers on this. Uh, I think me having a daughter is really opened my eyes to how important it is to highlight women in film and media and making sure that they are represented. So uh, with the Girl Power block at the DC Black Film Festival this year, it was so awesome to see the little girls that were actually asking questions to the filmmakers. And, you know, again, you can check DC Black Film Festival for pictures and all that good stuff. But the point is, um, you know, I really want to celebrate uh, our female filmmakers. And I've really enjoyed talking with the women from uh, film Fatale that have come on the show uh, this year and last year just talking about some of their influences so I would love to know and guys this is not just a question for women I want to hear from you guys too so let's make this thing happen I think it's going to be a great response so hit me up my name is Ella and you're listening to my dad's show picture Lock. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and a pioneer of contour techniques, makeup artist Kevin O'Quan's meteoric rise to fame in the 80s and 90s was legendary. Iconic clients, friends, and family retrace his life, career, and mysterious death at the height of his fame in 2002 in the film Larger Than Life, The Kevin O'Quan Story. I have director Tiffany Bartok on the line with me. Tiffany, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Tiffany, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Well, that's a, I, I guess first movie I ever loved was The Toy. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that one? I do not. Um, and I'm, a, I'm like about to look this up right now. Oh, no, it's terrible. It's so, it's so like hindsight, but it was a very emotional uh, movie with Richard Pryor. And when you watch it now, you're just like, oh, this is wrong on so many levels. But 
it was it got me you know fixated for sure on storytelling that was for sure and um i think the first movie that made me feel like i want to make documentaries though was chris smith's um movie american movie um you know it was just like unbelievable to me this uh that you could you could do this you know and just that and uh, you can make a movie about a regular person like that and it would be so riveting um, and then Andrea Arnold's Wasp, the short Wasp, was really like it really catapulted me into like I gotta do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, so the toy came out in '82. Um, yeah. I have definitely heard of it, but I was born in '83. So yeah. Okay. okay. I, unfortunately, okay. I kind of showing my age. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's okay. I, I love that story. Um. If you could, like, let's get a little history lesson uh, in your backstory. How did you get into the film industry? Oh, okay. Well, I um, I had a degree in acting and musical theater. And so when I moved to New York, um, I was, like, trying to, you know, make it happen. And I, you have to waitress. And I just was literally the worst waitress you've ever seen. Like, the kind that you're <laughs> like, what is wrong? I was fired all the time. So I was like, how am I going to survive? Then I started to do makeup. It was a total like divine intervention thing. They were looking for somebody at the makeup counter the next day. And I started to, and this was a talent I had already had. So, you know, I started doing makeup and then I went into movie makeup and met my husband on set. Um, he was an actor. And then we began making films together. Well, that not that sweet? That sounds... It's- so <laughs> <laughs> You know, but I bet that's like a really good conversation at like the party. You know, how did you two yeah, meet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Oh man, that's awesome. So okay, so you kind of given us how you got into makeup, which mm-hmm. brings us to uh, your film, larger yeah. than larger than life. If you could, what inspired you to create this film? And then also, in your own words, what is this film all about? Sure. Um, so Kevin, you know, he's the number one, the head honcho, the biggest inspiration to everyone when you are growing up in the 90s um, for makeup. And he had these phenomenal books that most people still have and um, they still sell tremendously well. And they were sort of like these Bibles about how to do it yourself. And that was just unheard of. Most makeup artists kept everything secret. And um, so it spread like wildfire. He was the first celebrity makeup artist because he had this insane personality of just love and, you know, happiness and just this effervescent personality of warmth. So when he tragically died, it was like, you know, it was really heard everywhere. And um, I realized that the next generation of makeup artists didn't all know who he was, Um, you know, and in this era of Instagram and, you know, all these do-it-yourself people, they didn't know who started all this. So I made it a mission to sort of deliver that to the millennials and, you know, sort of have a a fun scrapbook movie for all of us who knew it already. Yeah, you know, uh, and that was going to be one of my big questions is, you know, today, there are so many different online <laughs> blogs, blogs, you know, and literally there's folks that are, you know, celebrities as Instagram <laughs> that are doing this. Um, and so to kind of, 
you know, bridge that gap. Um, what's what's been the response uh, of the film thus far? And I'm I'm also wondering if specifically, like you said, like the millennials um, that are doing this now, like have they have they latched on to this as well? Yeah, what they say is, I thought I knew Kevin, and I thought I knew everything about the history of makeup, and I didn't realize until I saw this how mm. deep he was and how deep the industry goes and that he was the first there's this um makeup artist in the film mario d who's just he's an angel he's kim kardashian's makeup artist and it was a little controversial you know oh are we going to kim land and in, in this you know what i mean but we had to because he was ready to tell people i got it from kevin people think that he started it with Kim, you know, and he is so generous and he's like, no, this is, I learned it. I wanted to be Kevin, you know, and he's sort of like the kids need to know, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I thought that was, that was really generous. And, you know, his um, apprentice, Troy Surratt was a producer on it. And, you know, he of course wants everyone to have the most comprehensive history lesson on Kevin. So people are really taking away, you know, it's sort of, it's a sad film. It, it was a sad ending, um, you know, because Kevin did pass away. But, you know, it is such an inspiring film because he, he definitely wants to leave a legacy of you can do this. You know, I believe in you sitting in that audience, you know. So right. I, I think people really feel all those different levels when they see it, you know. Yeah. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the director of Larger Than Life, the Kevin O'Quan story, Tiffany Bartok. Uh, Tiffany, one of the things that I'm wondering in terms of piecing this documentary together, um, you know, you, you obviously get close to friends and family and you're telling mm -hmm. the story and you're weaving things together in a puzzle it's a puzzle that you want uh, an audience to be able to follow, but can you talk a little bit about uh, the fun and excitement of putting this film together? Fun and excitement. Oh my God. I thought I'd have a nervous break. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> How do you tell this, you know, multi-layered, crazy, renegade, maverick, you know, story in, in an hour and a half. I mean, there was, there's five hour cuts, you know, wow. the cutting room floor is just gorgeous. You know, <laughs> there's whole people that, you know, loved Kevin and I loved their stories. And we just, what we had to do was whittle away. Well, we, we laid it out in chronological order. And um, that was the simplest way to do it. You know, Kevin was born and then Kevin passed away. And that that really w proved to be effective. You know, we didn't do any gimmicks, though. We talked about every option of like, let's start with this theme. And then, you know what I mean? It's just it, that that did, that wasn't the story we wanted to tell. We wanted to tell a story of a little of a guy with a dream that made it, you know, mm. and it's it lays out in real time so um oh my gosh what was i saying so oh so we had to weed away anything that was anecdotal which was tragic for me because i want you know i wanted everyone to know like what really happened behind this cover and we have all that you know so um we had to just tell if it didn't apply to kevin's life and as a human and how he was dealing with this fame and success all while trying to find out who he was as a person, we had to let it go. Yeah, you know, I appreciate you sharing that because I know that uh, any documentary filmmakers that are listening, it, 
many a times, you know, especially you go when you're shooting a doc, you go into it thinking that it's one thing, the documentary tells you what it's really going to be about. And then not only that, like in terms of how much you shoot just to try to capture the story, you know, it's so much totally. more than a feature. Um, so I think that's, that's extremely helpful. Um, but if you could, for the audience uh, that's listening, how can people find out more about the film, um, follow you guys on social media? And I know you guys have a release coming soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mostly um, religiously update the Instagram. So that's at <laughs> Kevin O'Quan, Kevin O'Quan Film, Kevin with a Y. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm there the most. And then we also have Kevin O'Quan Film on Facebook. Every All the social buttons are on the website, Kevin O'Quan Film. Got it. It's Big no. Phil on Kevin Sampson. I've been talking with the director of... Larger Than Life, The Kevin O'Quan Story, Tiffany Bartok. Tiffany, I really appreciate you coming on the on the show. I, I wish we could talk a little bit more. Um, perhaps I can have you back on again to just oh, get into that. I'll, I'll see if I can arrange it. I just, you know, I just really <laughs> dread talking about Kevin. You know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. No, I'd love to anytime. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. It was so great talking to you. My name is KJ, and you're listening to my daddy's show, Pixel Lock. <laughs> I'm Kevin Sampson. This is Picture Lock, and Studios, Lofts, and Jam Spaces is a series of 10 portraits about Montreal-based artists. In each episode, we follow one artist as they prepare to put their work out into the world. Along the way, we find out where they came from, how their careers evolved, and what inspires them to make new work. We're offered a glimpse into the world of Montreal's fabled studios and loft spaces and the lives of those who have chosen to devote themselves to the arts. I have the series producer-director Juliet Lammers on the line. Juliet, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you, Kevin. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Juliet, first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Um, well, I've always loved film. When I was a kid growing up in the uh, 80s, we had um, you know, a VCR, as most families did. I remember getting our first VCR. And we had a um, huge video library that my parents kept. And uh, I had, I mean, there were hundreds of films in that library. And, um, and, I, and we had a list. It was all catalogs very organized and um and i have my favorite and i watched those over and over and over again and i i really think that that's where it started for me that's where i really started to just fall in love with storytelling and um with the way that films can take you into other worlds and other places um, into the lives of characters uh, i think that's where it started you know really young yeah, most definitely. What was one of those films that you played over and over? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I the one that comes in, I mean, keep in mind, I was a kid, I loved um, comedies, and the movie Meatballs was, um, <laughs> there were a lot of Bill Murray movies, like Meatballs, uh, Stripes was a huge favorite, um, yeah, a lot of those, you know, those 80s comedies really yeah. hit home for me. <laughs> classics, classics. So take, yeah. me, take me on a little history lesson in terms of going from the girl that was 
watching these VHS tapes over and over to the woman who actually has created uh, this docu-series. Um, so how did you get into the film industry? Yeah, um, well, it, uh, it took a while. I, you know, I, it's something I kind of danced around for a long time. And then um, it was in 2011 that I uh, met uh, the woman who I made my first film with. Um, her name's Lorraine Price. And uh, my first film was um, called Last Woman Standing. It's a documentary, and it's a friendship-turned-rivalry story between two female uh, Canadian boxers. And so Lorraine and I... Um, neither of us had ever made a film before. We met at a boxing club that we were both training at. She was actually an amateur boxer, and I was just training there, not really doing any fighting. Um, and, uh, and we started talking one day uh, about um, women's boxing and sort of the state of women's boxing. And uh, it was about to become um, an Olympic sport for the first time in 2012 at the London Olympics. And uh, so there was a lot of excitement around that. And so then we started talking about the national team. And, and then there was this story on the national team between um, two boxers who were uh, longtime teammates, both world champions, and they ended up um, having to fight each other for one position um, on the team in order to go to the Olympics. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, and, uh, and so... Um, and so we knew there was a good story there and, uh, and we started developing it ourselves. And then we, you know, we contacted the boxers and we took it pretty much as far as we could. And then at that point, um, we realized we needed producers cause we didn't know how to actually get any money to get it made. And, um, and, you know, Montreal, there are a lot of, you know, I'm in a community, community of artists and filmmakers. So I already knew lots of people in the industry and we pitched it to some producers that I knew and, um, and they were on board almost immediately and we got money for it. We got development money for it uh, a couple weeks later. Like it just went really quickly. We were really mm. lucky. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then once development went through um, the, the, the broadcaster kicked in the, the full licensee and we had pretty much all of the money we needed to make the film. So that's how it started, and then it's just kind of been, you know, taken off from there. I love it. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with a woman who let her tape rock till her tape popped back in the day while she was watching VHS films, and now she's making them. It is the producer-director of Studio Loss and Jam Spaces, Juliet Lammers. Um, Julia, I figured because you're up in Canada, uh, perhaps you didn't get that reference. That's a, that's a biggie reference. Um, <laughs> he said, he said he let his tape rock till his tape pop, um, talking about the cassettes. But, um, if you could, for us here in the States, um, yeah. what is the significance of studios and the loft spaces? Um, so if you could kind of like in your own words, what the series is all about and then also kind of educate us on, you know, uh, these spaces and the, their importance. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I, you know, I live in Montreal, so I can speak more to Montreal than I can to the rest of Canada. But um, I guess, I mean, what, what it, the, the idea sort of concept actually started in Berlin. Um, in Germany. And it, to me, what I, I had the opportunity uh, several times to spend um, longer uh, stints in Berlin. And what I noticed there was that there was this 
amazing DIY culture of artists and people just doing, I mean, all sorts, just creating all sorts of things in spaces all over the city. And, uh, and it just creates this vibrancy. Um, and, uh, and I started, and at the time I was doing my master's and I was, my master's was focused on space and I was thinking a lot about city spaces and, um, and I started to think about, you know, the availability of space. And in Berlin at the time, um, space was cheap. Uh, it was abundant. It was available, accessible. And so people had spaces to create things. And they didn't have to spend all of their time making money in order to, uh, you know, to pay rent and to pay for life because it was just relatively cheap. Um, and so that that provided time, which is necessary to creation, and, it, and, and space was available, which is also necessary to creation. Um, so that was something that sort of struck me in Berlin. And then I came back to Montreal, and, uh, and Montreal is a similar city in a lot of ways. There's um, a huge art community in Montreal, and it is one of the cheapest, it's, it's like the cheapest major city in Canada to live in. Um, and there are a lot of similarities in that Montreal has historically had uh, an abundance of space that has been very affordable. And, um, you know, artists that I know, all musicians and all sorts of artists, visual artists, filmmakers, people have their studios all over this neighborhood that I live in and all over the city, really. And, um, and so I started to just become interested in this idea of, you know, when space is available um, and accessible to people, what can happen? And so that's really where the idea for the show came from and the show is actually a series of portraits um, it's called studios lost and jam spaces because of this sort of underlying idea of you know needing space to create um, but then you know each episode is a portrait of one artist as they work towards a performance um, we go into their spaces with them um, and learn about who they are in their work what they do and then we follow them as they put on a show yeah, I mean, it makes total sense that, um, you know, the spaces is just the backdrop and the spine that is uh, weaved through these uh, through the series. Um, but can you talk a little bit about um, what it's like as a documentary filmmaker, um, just kind of documenting people's lives? And one of the things that I'm always uh, interested in is getting people to kind of open up and trust you um, and, you know, just kind of share their lives. Yeah. I mean, um, it's a huge part of the process. Um, I mean, I, you know, a huge part of my job is developing relationships with the people that I'm following, um, you know, and developing honest relationships, relationships of trust. And I, you know, Lorraine, who I still work with, the, the woman who I made the first film with, um, we talk all the time about, you know, our integrity being one of our, the most important tools that we have in our, in our kit, really. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's time. Like, ideally, you have time to spend with the people that you're following. Um, it's a lot of conversation. It's conversation, I think, about... Um, it's about, you know, what you're doing about the project, but then it's also conversation about, you know, anything and about ourselves. And I try with the people that I'm, I'm following in the films or, you know, in the series that I made um, to make it as much of a give and take as I can um, so that I'm also sharing about myself 
so that it doesn't feel so one way um, because it is a little bit of an odd relationship, you know, and, and it, 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 at first it can be, you know, it always, it takes a lot of um, sort of mental energy to, you know, to go into a project and to propose an idea to somebody and ask them if you can, you know, start following them and, you know, to put a camera into their face and, you know, all of that is, is, it, it does take a lot of um, mental energy. So um, as much as I can, I try to also share about myself so that, you know, so that <laughs> it feels a little more balanced. Right. Well, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. And unfortunately, Julia, we're going to have to wrap things up here. But um, if sure. for the audience, how could folks follow the film and find out more information about it? Yeah. Okay. So, um, as I said earlier, I'm really not very good at social media, but um, to, so Studios Lost and Jam Faces is really only available on Air Canada's in-flight programming right now, and um, it's on CBC in Canada. Um, but uh, I have a Facebook page so um, for the show, so Studios Lost and Jam Faces on Facebook. Um, you know, you can you can find information about it there. And I do keep that up to date. So if there are, you know, new episodes on Air Canada or, you know, if there's a new broadcast, I'll definitely post it there. Awesome. Producer, director of Studios Lofts and Jam Spaces, Juliet Lammers, thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thanks for having me, Kevin. That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Noor Garzadine, Rama Mosley, Tiffany Bartok, and Juliet Lammers for coming on the show. Be sure to catch up on back episodes of the podcast and subscribe in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast. Subscribe. Also, if you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say, Alexa, play Picture Lock Podcast, and I'll come right up. Please feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. Trust me, that will help to make sure that this show rises when people are looking for great film podcasts to listen to you know it's a great show help me out five star review leave a comment uh it only helps you can find picture lock on most social media all social media is at picture lock show be sure to follow me on the stardust app for my quick movie tv and trailer reviews just look up at picture lock show and i will be there Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash picture lock show and subscribe. DC BFF is over, so I'm throwing a bunch of the interviews and Q&As on there. Plus, I'm going to get back on it with my YouTube reviews. So you definitely want to uh, subscribe at youtube.com slash picture lock show. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, which I hope you are, you can fill out the form on the website. Love to have you on. This week's question of the week is... Who is your favorite female director and why? Drop me a voicemail at 202-350-1351, 60 seconds or less. Say your name, where you're from, who that person is and why. And I'll do my best to play it on the show next week. Or send me an email and let me know at picturelockshow at gmail.com or on any of Picturelock's social media pages. And we'll talk about it on the air next week. All music is done by Mike S, the producer 13. Make sure you follow him on all things social media at Mike S, the producer, numeral one, numeral three, and hit him up for your music production needs. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, I hope you stay locked on film. <laughs>